scripture lesson today is taken from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. It is the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they were withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the reasons that we are drawn to Jesus as a human being and as a religious savior involves his words and his deeds, his teaching and his acts of power. Among his acts of power are miracles, healings, turning wine into water, driving money changers from the temple. Among his teachings are the Sermon on the Mount and the parables. We love the parables because they're powerful stories and we love a story. The parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the good Samaritan. We identify with characters within them. A father grieving for his adolescent son who has left home. That same early young adult who leaves home blows a good portion of the inheritance that he would receive that would be larger at a later day. And then comes back home because the bed is warm and the food is plentiful. Now, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John set out to write their Gospels 30 to 50 years after the life of Christ, they were familiar with the 40 or so parables that Jesus had told at different times and places. John decided not to use any of them. Mark just used a few, but Matthew and Luke went to town on the parables. When they were finished works known as the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, came to be included in the book that we know as the Bible, the Gospel of Matthew was placed first, even though the Gospel of Mark was written a few years earlier. When Matthew put his Gospel together, the parable that he decided to begin with, to show first, was the parable of the sower. Thus, if we sit down to read the New Testament cover to cover, the first parable we are ever going to encounter is the parable of the sower. 
And in addition to this parable being first, Matthew thought this parable was so important that he followed it with a lengthy explanation that Jesus gave concerning the nature of parables, and then he followed it with an interpretation Jesus gave of this particular parable. The parable begins with the simplest of words. A sower went out to sow. In 1909, a 14-year-old boy named Amos Wilder was working on a farm in the Midwest one summer. In the village Sunday school that he attended, the one day a week he didn't have to work, he encountered this parable for the first time. It captivated him. Sixty-three years later, He attributed this parable as the reason he was drawn to literature and made it his life work and became a professor of literature at Harvard. A sower goes out to sow. I recently heard a woman in her 90s describe what she experiences every morning when she awakens. She opens her eyes. She realizes that she has at least one more day. She rolls over on her side. She drapes her legs over the side of the bed as she sits upright. She puts her feet flat on the floor to make sure that everything is balanced, and she lifts herself up to stand. She gets dressed. She fixes breakfasts. And then she begins the tasks and responsibilities before her for the day. A sower goes out to sow. Now, as the sower goes out, some seeds fall on the path. Birds come and eat them up. Some seeds fall on rocky ground. They spring up quickly, but since they have no depth of soil, when the sun rises, they are scorched and wither away. And other seeds fall among thorns, and the thorns grow up around them and choke the seeds. If we do the math, three-fourths of what the sower sows does not take root. Three-fourths doesn't sprout into a plant. Three-fourths doesn't bear fruit. Three-fourths doesn't produce flowers. The sower goes out to sow, but only one-fourth of what the sower sows bears fruit. One-fourth. That's all. Other seeds, the parable continues, fall on good soil and bring forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. The sower goes out to sow. The woman lifts herself out of bed, even though each knows that three-fourths of the seed they sow, three-fourths of the, of the efforts they make will likely come to naught. Yet, they think, perhaps today is the day that a seed takes root. 
I was told many years ago in a reference that I have long since been unable to find or track down. But I was told that one of the great female writers in America, either the late 19th or early 20th century, was once asked in an interview, like a lot of writers are, what routine she followed to do her writing. Every day, she said, I get up. I go down the stairs to my kitchen table. I take a blank sheet of paper and roll it into the typewriter. I sit down in front of it without any earthly idea of what I'm going to write. But I do so, she said, because if today be the day that the muse will visit, I want to be ready. I want to be in place. A sower goes out to sow because today just might be the day that one seed takes root a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Now Jesus concludes this parable with a comment, let anyone with ears listen. I prefer the translation from the King James Version, which is admittedly less inclusive, but more poetic and I think more forceful. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Who hath ears to hear, let them hear. But what are we supposed to hear? Are we supposed to hear that the life God intends for us, the life of following Jesus Christ, above all else involves human effort? Does calling ourselves a Christian, being a follower of Christ, mean getting up every day, putting our feet on the floor, going outside ourselves, sowing seed, knowing all the while that most, if not all, of the seed in any given day will never take root? Is Jesus defining our purpose as making a human effort, no matter the outcome? Perhaps this is so. Effort. Every day, discipline, action, going outside ourselves, no matter the success or the achievement, effort. But there's got to be more. Closely related, are we supposed to hear from this parable that the life God intends for us above all else involves the success that our efforts bring, the achievements that come our way when we go out from ourselves to sow? The parable led led the professor to speak of the continuity and plentitude of creation the exuberance and trustworthiness of existence, its plentitude and excess. It sounds like he is saying that there is plenty of of success and joy and achievement and accomplishments to be had for those who are willing to get up and sow. The opportunities for growth and plentitude seem 
limitless. The 1981 movie Chariots of Fire featured two athletes who were competing for the 1924 Olympics. Eric Liddell, a devout Scottish Christian who runs for the glory of God, and Harold Abrahams, an English Jew observant who runs to overcome prejudice. The movie opens with a stirring tribute to human achievement which comes from the apocryphal portion of the Bible, not fully recognized on our part, but still a part of our tradition. Let us now sing the praises of famous men, it begins, our ancestors in their generations. The Lord apportioned to them great glory, majesty from the beginning. There were those who ruled in their kingdoms and made a name for themselves by their valor. Those who gave counsel because they were intelligent. Those who spoke in prophetic oracles. Those who led the people by their counsels and by their knowledge of the people's lore. They were wise in their words of instruction. Those who composed musical tunes or put verses in writing. Rich men endowed with resources. Living peacefully in their homes. All these were honored in their generations and they were the pride of their times. It is a terrific poem celebrating human achievement more readily shared by women as well now. But it raises another question. Is the parable of the sower implying that the purpose of following, following Christ is to know great achievements? Is to become the pride of our times? As valid as, as achievements are, are they the primary purpose of our faith? I think they are not. There is a little noticed oddity which you may have noticed because you're sharp listeners in the way that this parable ends. It occurs in the line describing the success of the seeds that take root. We might expect as readers that the order of, of, of success to be described should go from an increase of 30-fold to 60-fold to a hundredfold, each success building on the others. As we might, as we hear this, we might accept its implication that the numbers will just continue to increase as we sow seeds and make our effort 200-fold, 300-fold, 500-fold. This appeals to our love of linear progress, of uninterrupted growth of limitless opportunity. But this is not the order Jesus uses in telling the parable. He uses instead a hundredfold, then sixtyfold, then thirtyfold. It's as if the first success that breaks through to the seed is a tremendous burst, followed by a slowdown, a steadiness, Perhaps even 
a disappearance of fruit bearing for a while. Professor Wilder speaks of the parable as bearing witness to the enigmatic vicissitudes of loss and gain. Being strangely poised between trust and lack of trust. Being sustained in our ventures and during our anguished betrayals. Humanity's relation to the earth and its processes is full of mystery, he writes. The wonder of each hour, of the day, and of the night. The parable of the sower is thus not simply about our effort, nor is it simply about any success we might meet. Rather, the parable is about mystery. The mystery of putting ourselves forward on this earth, in this life, in this day and time and culture in which we live. When we as sowers go out to sow, we never know what the outcome is going to be. And we'd best be cautious about equating our effort with unexpected results. Ultimately, the interaction between seed and soil, between effort and outcome, is a mystery residing in the hearts and hands of God. When the 90-plus-year-old woman described lifting her eyelids, putting her feet on the floor, beginning her day, it was in answer to a question, can you point to a time in your life when you experienced God's grace to you? She answered, I can't point to a particular time, but every morning... When I awaken, it is God's grace to me. Every time I stand up, she says, it's a gift of grace. It is neither her efforts nor the tasks she completes that define who she is. It is the mystery of the gift of God's grace that enables her at her age to get up and go out from herself and sow seeds that defines who she is, who God is. For God's grace has awakened us and enabled us to sow every day of our lives. Philosopher Michael Sandel expresses concern that within the elite and educated sectors of our society, we have so come to focus on our own effort and achievements, a sower goes out to sow, that we have fallen into an insidious self-satisfaction among those of us for whom seed has borne plenteous fruit 
In our minds, we have, so, we have so earned the fruit of our hard work and education that we've fallen into lacking respect or even appreciation for the element of mystery, of luck, of positive circumstances of our upbringing, of the public goods that have allowed our intelligence and our hard work to bear fruit. A perfect meritocracy banishes all sense of gift or grace, he writes. Grace. It diminishes our capacity to see ourselves as sharing a common fate with others. It leaves little room for the solidarity that can arise with others when we reflect on the contingency of our talents and our fortunes. Sandal fears that we have lost the capacity to say there but for the grace of God go I. My friend Sandal is speaking perhaps directly to many of us who despite all the crises crises in our nation today, remain blessed with tremendous benefits of education and health care and meaningful work and leisure and arts and culture, even if much of it has now moved online, which for many of us has its advantages as well. Yes, much of what we know and experience results from the efforts and achievements of famous men and famous women who have gone before us. Yes, much of it grows out of our hard work and long years of study that we have put in. But is there not also an element of luck, of mystery, of contingency, of grace that has brought us the lives we know and cherish? Is it possible that we have lost or never quite acquired that sense of there but for the grace of God go I? Every time I awaken, the woman says, every time it is a gift of grace. Amen.